Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson, the podcast where she speaks to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about why they connect with nature. Lindsay Webster is a multiple Spartan world champion and just overall multi-sport athlete. Lindsay began obstacle racing in 2014, jumping in headfirst with her first race in 2014 for the Spartan Race World Championships in Vermont. She became a full-time professional athlete two years later, winning multiple titles as a Spartan World Champion and OCR World Champion. Lindsay recently started competing in trail running and sky running, taking home first place at the U.S. Sky Running Championships. She is thrilled to be representing Canada as her home country. She enjoys the Canadian winters with lots of cross-country skiing with her Malamute Sunto. And when Lindsay isn't training, she spends time on her hobbies of small farming, photography, camping, and baking from her home in Sutton, Quebec. Please welcome, I'm so stoked for this, Lindsay Webster. First of all, welcome. Thank you so much for taking time for me. Like, I'm, I, I hate saying this, but like, I'm a fan. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. My husband's actually away right now, so you're keeping me company. You were here in the Ottawa Gatineau region a few weekends ago for the Gatineau Loppet, which is one of the coolest ski races, I, I think so anyway, around. And you placed not in just one, but in two races. And for not being a cross-country ski like professional athlete, I'd say that's pretty impressive. What happened? Thank you. Yeah, so the first race was the classic ski. And I was really surprised that I placed in that one because... I just, I'm not a very good classic skier as far as like racers go. And I actually missed my start. So I didn't realize there were mass starts. I thought that it was time starts where they send an athlete off like every 15 seconds. And they had me in the P wave. So I was like, I think the starts, they started sending athletes off at one. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to go until at least 1.30. So I was just like kind of noodling around, warming up. And then all of a sudden, like everybody was heading to the start line. And I had, I like had my warm up skis on. So I had to get my race skis and take all my layers off. And like, <laughs> it's just rushing. So I didn't miss it by too much. But yeah, I was like stuck at the very, very back of the pack. And then I had to kind of like work my way through it to the front. But I just did the 15K and it's always like the big longer races at the Loppet, as you know, that are the competitive ones, like the 50 and the 35. So yeah, not too much competition that day. Definitely some fast athletes still though. And then Sunday was the skate race. That was an effort. <laughs> okay. For you to say that was an effort is, is like a lot because like you probably have some of the best endurance out there for an athlete, but what place did you come in in the skate ski race? The skate ski race, I came third. So the first place girl was actually, so this, the whole race I was racing with this one other female and the first place girl. So I thought that we were battling for first and second, but it turns out that there was a, a woman ahead of us and she was so far ahead that like, I didn't even know she was up there, which was kind of funny. So she smashed it and she's a, 
I think she's on the national team or the development team or something. She actually lives out in Canmore where you just holidayed. I felt pretty good after seeing that. And then I was, I wasn't too far off her time. So I was like, oh, that's not too shabby. All my like water froze and my water had my calories in it. Cause I was like, oh, I'll just take like liquid calories as my fuel. But it's like horrendously cold every year at this race. I think, you know, it's like notoriously known for being really cold and but the weather was saying this year that it was going to be quite warm. So I was like, oh, I can get away with this. And then like the night before the weather changed and I didn't really have a backup plan. So like, yeah, all my calories froze. And so I just didn't eat like the whole race. But it was like a really hard effort to put my body through. I think that distance, like two and a half, three hours is a distance that I'm really familiar with racing from the other races that I do, but like never without food. And by the end, I was just so shattered. So there was the girl who came, who I was like racing with the whole race. She was behind me the whole race. And then she passed me in the last two kilometers and I just like had nothing left. So she ended up beating me by about 12 seconds, which is just like really funny, but I tried to stay with her and like just couldn't. So I was like pretty proud of myself because it's been a while since, you know, I've done an effort that hard where like you literally just like your body's like (laughs) I was cramping at the finish line and everything. Like I had nothing left to give. So can't complain about that. You are an elite athlete and I'm like a very recreational one, but people ask what skate skiing is like. And I'm like, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And you do like everything. So like, where does skate ski? Like, You've been skiing forever though, right? Like you've been always on, on Nordic skis, but like where does skate skiing rank and the things that you do that are, that are hard? Skate skiing is pretty hard. I love to do interval sessions on my skate skis because I'm like never more shattered after a workout than I am after that. So my sister actually is a two-time Olympian in cross-country skiing. So she's the person who initially got me on cross-country skis in high school because she was like, she's two years older than me and she was falling in love with it. And she's like, you got to do this. And then I was lucky because our high school had a Nordic ski team with like really great coaches. And they taught me pretty much all the basics of like how to train as a professional athlete, like everything, all the knowledge that I still use today. So that's all kudos to them. And then my sister too. But yeah, she made me a program for this race to like get me ready for it. And a lot of the workouts were actually similar to running ones that I do quite regularly. But I do them on skis and I would look at what she prescribed me and be like, oh, that's not it's not that hard of a workout. Like I shouldn't be too tired after this. And I would just be like destroyed. (laughs) So, yeah, I would say that it's it uses skate skiing uses every muscle in your body, like even your fingers. You mentioned that, you know, things went wrong, your water froze. Obviously, you made it through and you even placed, which is wild. But has there been any other races before where things just went terribly wrong that you still were able to recover from that you remember? Is there any moments? Yeah, I mean, I've been racing as a professional athlete now for I think it's seven years. So mostly obstacle course racing which I think a lot of, probably a lot of your listeners are Canadian. And it's not as well known here as like very competitive sport. But in the US, yeah, they have some really competitive races. People come from like Mexico, France, all like lots of Russian athletes and people come from all over the world to do it. And there's pretty good prize money and stuff. So yeah, it's uh, it's good fun. But I've had some some races for sure where <laughs> over seven years of a career where things have gone wrong. I uh, sprained an ankle like really badly one race and kind of 
hobbled through the rest and then my ankle didn't go back to its normal size for about three months. Ankles are the worst. Ankles are so weak. Yeah. And I had never sprained an ankle up until then. So I had no concept of how bad it was, but I think it must have been a pretty bad sprain if it took like that long to <laughs> kind of recover from. And then probably, I mean, it sounds like you've rolled ankles before, but then after you do it once, it's like, it just wants to keep doing it. Which you as a runner and a trail runner is like, does not like, this is not going to fly. I think it's a, it was only a matter of time though. I mean, I feel like every trail runner at some point just kind of ends up with flimsy ankles from <laughs> rolling them. <laughs> a friend of mine, his name is Liam Walk. I had him on the podcast and he does endurance runs and he was doing a 100k race and broke his ankle on the 95th kilometer. <laughs> what? No. Did he finish? So it was, uh, it was during COVID. So like he was supposed to do like Bromont and Bromont was canceled. I believe so. He still wanted to run 100K. So in his head, he was like still running it more casually as as a race. And the 95th kilometer breaks it. And there was two people on like electric bikes coming down the trail. And he like hitched a ride. It was like a movie. Really? Did they give him their bike or did he just like... Yeah, they like lent him one of the bikes. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's lucky. I want to bring up the way that we met in the most like appropriate way possible. So my friends and I were hiking in Sutton, Quebec, in the eastern townships. And we saw this woman sprinting up the mountain and like sprinting, who's clearly like given like we're, we're panting as we're just walking up. And I recognized you from Instagram, like a total idiot, like a total loser. And I'm like, hi, Lindsay, I couldn't control myself. And you said, I'm trying to get a Strava QOM. I think so you said, we'll chat on the way down. And you ended up on the way down. You actually, not only did you stop, but you chatted with us for like a long time. You were so gracious. We had a great chat. We did like a, a selfie. Such a nerd. Did you end up getting that Strava QM, first of all? And didn't you say that was the first time someone recognized you in the wild? I don't think it's the first time somebody has recognized me like in general in the wild, but at, at home for sure. I've never had somebody like in my hometown be like, oh, hey, I know you from Instagram. So that was really cool. But um, yeah, I remember that well because you had such a fun group of friends out that day. And like, it was so easy just to chat with you guys after. But I was so embarrassed to just be like, I'm going off with this Strava segment. Can't stop. Because my friends and I actually have a joke that like, I don't know, we joke around on trails, especially like when we're on mountain bikes, like we'll be like, move over, going for the QOM or something. And we'll only say it to each other. And then one time as like dares, we were doing it to like pass people down the mountain. <laughs> but like, it's just, I don't know, it's like, it's kind of like a really, I don't know, we joke around about it being a really nerdy thing to do. So I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I can't believe this actually happened. I guess because of COVID, the trails are like, you can only go up one way right now. You're supposed to go up one way and come down the other way. But the way the Strava segment goes is actually like the way you're supposed to come down. So I still don't have the segment because I went after it that day to try and get it. But I didn't realize that like the segment went up the other trail and not the one that I was on. I was just like following the signs. So silly me. Should have figured that out. But there's like eight ways to get up that mountain. So it's actually a little bit confusing. It's funny because like you're one of the best outdoor athletes in the world. And it's just funny to me because like I have an unhealthy relationship with Strava. I get really competitive about it. I'm not an elite athlete at all. But do you find it more fun because you probably are able to get them no problem. But like I know it's kind of a joke for you as well. 
But is it actually a good way for you to like push yourself as doing those Strava segments and going for them? Do you find that fun or like a way to train? Yeah. Well, especially during COVID, like it was, I'm sure you found too, like it was just like a massive motivator to stay fit. And like, I want to clarify too, like we don't joke about getting Strava segments as being nerdy only when you tell people like, I can't talk because I'm going after this Strava segment. Or like when you tell people to move off the trail so you can get by because you're going after this segment. But anyway, no, I think it's awesome that they're out there and like for people to go after them as goals and uh, they're not easy to get either. Like around here, there's so many, Quebec has like so many incredible athletes. Even when I was watching the Olympics this year, like if you look at the roster and all the different sports, there's always somebody from Montreal or Quebec, at least like one or two people in every sport which is awesome. But yeah, even here in Sutton, like the running segments, my friend Lynn Bissett has a lot of them and she's an excellent cyclist. And then, yeah, there's, there's just like a lot of local people who are super fast. So, I know you have to have that competitive spirit to do what you do. But something that I've noticed, especially on social media, is like your love and your support for other female competitors. And you have this way of like, what you portray is that you stay competitive while lifting others up. And it's a beautiful thing. So is that something, obviously, it's something probably like you're extremely gracious and kind person. So obviously, it comes natural to you. But do you make a point of making sure that you support other female athletes and other female people who just want to be outside? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I think that's what sport is all about. And it's something to be shared with other people. And like, it wouldn't be any fun just to compete against myself. So even an obstacle racing right now, like one of my competitors is like, she's running a whole program to try and bring other females into the sport specifically and like kind of like the elite women's field. Cause we want, we always just like want more competitive female athletes in there. So yeah. So I'll recruit you too, because I know you say that you're like not an elite athlete, but I mean, when you came to Sutton, you hiked up round top and the day before you went for a giant bike ride. So like, I don't think that's, I mean, that's like well above what the average person would do. I would love to go for a gravel ride with you. I would love that. I'm trying to talk my husband into like letting me get an e-bike too, an e-gravel bike so that him and I can go for big rides together because usually I can't keep up. Or like I want to ride with my friend Lynn, who I mentioned, but because she's an ex-Olympic cyclist, like I can't keep up to her either. So I'm <laughs> like an e-bike would be great. Just like a little bit of a speed assist. I want to talk about Ryan too, if you, if you don't mind, but is there any sports that you do Clearly, you're good at many things or great at many things, but is there any sports that you do that you do strictly just for the love of it and you have like no competitive spirit about it? That was cross-country skiing actually for a really long time up till this year. I competed a lot in high school, but then I always kind of like felt like I was treading a bit in my sister's kind of footsteps and I still sometimes get that feeling when I do it. But I absolutely love skiing. Like there's no better feeling than gliding along on the snow through the woods. So it wasn't till this year that I was like, you know, I'll like try doing some competitions again and like see, you know, bring competitive aspect back to it. But usually it's just something that I do for the love of it and for cross training. And like one of my favorite winter, you know, training days would be just to like go out for like a three hour, <laughs> super easy cross country ski and be nice and tired after. <laughs> Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson. Both you and your husband, Ryan, are accomplished athletes. You don't see that every day when like, both partners are like elite in their field. So how does that work in terms of supporting each other? Do you train together? You, you kind of just answer that. But what does that look like? Because clearly you completely understand each other's lives. We get that question a lot. And like, it's kind of funny because I actually don't understand how couples make it work when one person's an elite athlete and one person has like a regular nine to five job. Because I don't know, there's just so much about each other that we understand. And there's so many like little selfish aspects, I think, to being a professional athlete. Like, you got to eat healthy, you got to go to bed at a reasonable hour. Sometimes we have to like say no to fun things if it's like really not in our best interest and we're quite focused at that time of year or something. So like it's really nice that we're always on the same page. And then this year with me doing some competing in like other sports, it's actually really weird because we're planning out our race schedules and normally they're exactly the same. We get to like travel together. But this year... I'm going to be doing a bunch of sky racing overseas. And then he's doing some bike racing and I'm doing less obstacle racing. So there's like a bunch of times this year that even though we're both pro athletes, like there's going to be chunks for like a month where we won't see each other, which is really weird. (laughs) That must be hard, right? Do you like do the FaceTime thing? Like how do you make sure that you touch base? Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't get to us that much. Like we're great at being together, but we kind of know that, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Right now he's over in England for his coaching business. So he'll be gone for like, he gets back in a week. I don't know. I think we're, we just like text each other throughout the day and talk every other day or something like that. We don't get too upset by it, I guess. Yeah. I'm just like, imagine, like you mentioned the e-bike thing. So you said trying to keep up with him. Is that what you said? Yeah, he's a really fast cyclist too. I know that like you train also with your dog Sunto as well, right? What's your favorite thing to do with Sunto? That's a tough one. It's really fun to bring him 
to the mountain and do schemo laps. So like at Mont Sutton, you can uh, use like skin skis and ski up the mountain and then rip the skins off at the top and ski down like the groomed runs. So it's really fun to take them either like before they open or after they close. And this is a great time of year because they close at four. So you still have a couple hours of daylight. But he He'll trot his way up the mountain with you as you're going up. And then he gets really excited at the top before you get to like shred downhill. And then he just like sprints full out. It's so cool to watch him. It's just like this massive display of dog athleticism. <laughs> what kind of dog is he again? How do, you, how do I pronounce that? He's a Malamute. So he probably does better in the winter, right? He can probably go all day in the winter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's 10 now, so he's like got some arthritis. He's starting to slow down. But when he was younger, yeah, we had some days in the mountains. We'd take him out for like 12-hour days with us, and he like wouldn't be phased. He would love it. Everything that you do for the most part, I'm sure you do training indoors too, but is just completely outside. And that's what this podcast is about, is talking about our connection to nature, right? What is it about everything that you do? Like, it must be a part of you now, right? That everything you do is outside, whether you are in California or whether you're in Europe or whether you're at your home in Sutton. What is it about being outside and playing outside and competing outside that elevates it for you? Oh, so many things. I think a lot of athletes struggle with rest days. And I I wouldn't say like I struggle to rest, but I struggle to not get fresh air. Like, I just love to spend those hours outside during the day. And so it's easy during the summer because I'll just do a bunch of like veggie gardening or like, I don't know, kind of like we have chickens and some other, we live on a co-op. So there's always like lots of kind of outdoor chores to do, which I'll plan for rest days. But I think just having, I don't know, those hours to connect with like fresh air and then quiet hours when I'm like on a bike or skis. I used to train with music a lot, but I never use it anymore. I find it's just like important for me to just kind of like have those hours to myself to just, I guess, think about literally whatever my mind wants to think about. And it's a big stress reliever. So definitely promote active lifestyle to people. Is there anything in nature that no matter where you go, you look for maybe like cool mushrooms or cool trees? Or is there anything specific that you always notice that you love? I call it nature features. Like I love mossy rocks, for example, no matter where they are. Is there anything that you love no matter where you go or a certain part of the world that you're like, oh, I love the trees in like Norway? Yeah, Ryan's the tree guy. I'm definitely getting into mushrooms because they grow so plentifully back behind our house certain times of the year, usually like late fall. We see tons and tons of them. It's really fun to just see the really weird ones and try and figure out what they are. I would say wildflowers are a big one for me. I don't know if you've ever biked in Sutton in like late May, but you should try it because there's literally just like all the farmer's fields just like covered in wildflowers. It's like, I think they make a point to not do any like plowing or tilling until at least June or something. So like there's this period of one month in the late spring when everything is just like a riot of color everywhere you go. It's really cool. Late May is, is what you said is the time to go? Yeah, pre-official summer, but yeah, once everything's kind of dried out. I noticed something again, like about you maybe moving on from Spartan racing, but it looks and it sounds like you're doing more sky racing this year. You said planning out your calendar. So first of all, what is sky racing? Because it sounds epic. 
It's basically like mountain running. You just run up great big mountains and you get to run along the ridge at the top and then down the other side of the mountain and then maybe up another one. But sky running races typically are just, it's basically like everything that I love about running. They're typically a bit of a longer distance. So you won't really see anything under like two and a half hours, but they're not absurdly long either. I don't think you normally see ones over like eight hours long, which is, that's kind of like my wheelhouse. (laughs) And then also just like you get, I don't know, some of them are really technical and there's sections where you have to use ropes and stuff and there's like a bit of exposure. Some of them you even have to like bring some climbing equipment and helmets and stuff. I haven't done those yet because I'm not experienced enough. But you always have incredible views. A lot of the ones in Europe are just like really cool races. So this year I'll get to go to, or sorry, places. So this year I'll get to go to Austria and Spain. And I've been to Italy already. I'll get to go to France. So yeah. Does that play into your like your OCR? The ability to like scramble and play. And it's not just trail riding. It's like trail riding in the mountains. Yeah, exactly. Like I used to just do a lot of trail running and then I found obstacle racing and I was just like, oh, it's like trail running, but made more fun because you get to like have all these little obstacles in there to break it up. And then I, when I was just doing trail running races, like once I was used to obstacle racing and I would just do a trail running race, I was like, it's really weird not having the obstacles, like something's missing and this just is like going by quite slowly. <laughs> but then once I found sky running, yeah, it's kind of like... It goes by fast because your mind's always engaged, but then it's like very rewarding too, because, you know, you work really hard to get up the mountain, but then you get these like incredible views at the top and just like some really cool experiences. They've always been some of the most memorable races that I've ever done. So this is more a technical question, but how do you train for altitude if you know you're going to like France or, you know, you're going to Austria, if you know you're going somewhere hot, do you go somewhere else first? You spend more time there? If we can, Ryan and I have an altitude tent, which I really hate using because it gets, I just like don't sleep well in it. So it's almost like you, you can kind of acclimate to altitude, but like you're sacrificing sleep and recovery (laughs) at the same time. Ryan sleeps like, I don't know, he sleeps like a log, so he's not phased by it. But I would much prefer to like go early if we can. Altitude's funny. There's like a lot of tricks to it. We have a sauna as well. And like, I think apparently sauna will help like that heat exposure kind of mimics altitude as well. So you can get some benefits by doing that. If we're like really in doubt, then they say if you go like right before your event, then that's like either you have to go really early, like at least two weeks before to acclimate or you go right before. The worst thing you can do is to go like three to four days before the event when your body is like starting to try to make that adjustment and you're feeling like your systems are kind of taxed. So when in doubt, we'll fly out like the day before (laughs) and just suffer through it. Is there anything, if someone's listening right now and wants to spend more time outside and try new outdoor sports, is there any kind of advice that you would give them to get started? I don't know. I guess find something that you love because I think... I mean, some people like love to be in the gym. Some people love cycling. Some people love running or to be outside. And I think you just kind of have to like try a bunch of stuff until you find something that you really enjoy. Because then it's, if you want to keep doing it, I guess you need to be able to enjoy it. It's kind of like a longevity thing. If you're just like doing it to burn some calories or to, I don't know, like get some exercise, but you're not really enjoying it, then like 
chances that you're going to keep doing it are <laughs> a lot slower. So yeah, find a way to make it enjoyable. And then, and then it's not really a chore. Do you have any dream locations that you'd like to race or dream races that you'd like to win that would be like pinnacle for you? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, locations, like a lot of the places that I mentioned I'm going this year because I'm doing less obstacle racing and focusing on sky running. I was like, okay, this is going to be the year where I just kind of like tick off all those races that I've been wanting to do for a long time, but haven't been able to previously because our schedule gets pretty filled up with obstacle races. So yeah, and then ones that I want to win, I don't know. I haven't really thought about winning any of them. I don't know. Like, I think the Lopet was really cool this year to podium at. That was kind of like a goal that I, I never thought that I'd be able to like make the podium in that race. So that was like really cool. And then, of course, I'd love to like win a sky race, but people are fast. Especially the Europeans, right? <laughs> yeah, it's insane. They're so, so, so fast. Lindsay Webster, thank you for taking time for me. And yeah, I would love to jump on the gravel bike with you and try to keep up. Maybe I should get the e-bike. I should get the (laughs) e-bike. Yeah, let me know if you're ever in Sutton. I would love to go for a ride. I'm always looking for a company. So I would love that. Thanks for listening. For more Let's Take This Outside, go to ivisonboys.com slash podcast. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on blasttheradio.com. Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.